Hey, it's V, back from square one. Regulated, life is still upside down. And as I've been experimenting through conventional and unconventional mental health, I'm reporting back. This time, with good news. Ready to rock, drop, and roll. <laughs> so don't get burnt. The divorce, the jail, the affairs, and my attempt to swing, I mean sing. Our lives will always be on fire, so why not raise the real race and break the matrix? Maybe this is how it starts, as we unfuck ourselves. Let's find a way out. They don't care about you, so stop giving a fuck about them. The content of this podcast is for general purposes only, and it's not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition or disease or substitute for medical advice. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or any other qualified medical health provider with any questions you may have regarding your medical condition or treatment before starting or discontinuing treatment. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, please reach out immediately to the Suicide Prevention Line at 800-273-8255. Oh, wow. Uh, so... It's like, how do you do a life story in like one minute or less, right? So <laughs> more than a minute, please. <laughs> so I, I was born in America. My parents came from Vietnam as uh, immigrant refugees. And growing up, that was hard because we were low income. And, um, you know, I did like the typical route of like going to school and all that kind of stuff. But um, after college, uh, there's something where I was like, I, I don't want to feel tied down and committed to a job yet. And I think I'm a committed person. So I don't want to commit for the rest of my life without being sure. And so that's when I was like, bye, I'm going to go travel the world. And my parents were like, what? And this was 2012. So travel wasn't the cool thing yet. It was still kind of seen as dangerous, especially as a solo female travel traveler. And so, yeah, I just went and kind of disappeared for like a little over two years. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and um, along that way, I also lost uh, naturally kind of like lost friends as well, because you just kind of change as a different person. You change um, how you think, how you see things now. Um, the many, you meet so many people that find ways to live a very fulfilling life. That, and that when you see physically in front of your eyes that, oh, this person is sharing their story and they're able to make it work. That means, oh, hey, I, I probably can too, right? So in a way, when you meet other people, you hear other people's stories and stuff like that, and they share it it inspires you because you see that it is possible. So, and then eventually after coming home, kind of broke, I was like, you know, I'm going to move to LA. My cousins are there. My, uh, everyone else is there and the weather is great. So I fast forward, got a job at NBC, laid off, got a job at Disney, um, and then got laid off during pandemic. But it was at Disney where I kind of went through a spiritual awakening or like that quarter life crisis, if you want to call it that, but it's just <laughs> you know, I was bullied there and it was, it was really a toxic place. And, uh, I think devil wears Prada, like that type of stuff where it, it but no one really noticed it because bullying takes, a. it kind of happens really slowly over time where people don't notice it. And then you kind of lose yourself and who you are and your worth and stuff like that. And so after that, I kind of got to therapy too, because I had, um, PTSD from it. I was diagnosed with PTSD from it. And so, uh, but I healed from that and, um, you know, during that time, I met my ex-business partner and we started the Happy Healing Shop, which is a spiritual um, business. And she was the one that taught me about the afterlife. And uh, we were just happy and working at the same conference. And so, um, and just uh, energy healing and all that kind of stuff, all this. And I, I grew up Catholic, so, you know, 
And so that was, that really opened my eyes and I was more fascinated. Granted, my grandpa also does palm reading in Vietnam. Like he was a palm reader uh, or he knew how to, but he didn't do it as like a career or anything like that. So as a young kid, I was always interested in being like, grandpa, read my palm. What does it say? You know, <laughs> and I would keep asking him that because he would only give me one or two sentences. And I'm like, no, no, tell me more. And um, whatever he said kind of would that come true. And uh, there's stories where he said about other people, um, like kind of fortune told for other people and it came true as well. So I think he was probably a bit psychic there as well. So I was kind of already that person in the family was like, cool, this is awesome. Tell me more or like psychic stuff. You, t- That's awesome. And, you know, um, so we started the happy healing shop. We did psychic nights at my apartment, you know, way back in humble beginnings. And uh, recently we split up, but here I am today and doing more of mindfulness, breath work, um, inner child healing, because the stem of many problems, self-esteem issues, anger, hate, and things that hold us back stem from our past. And if we don't address it, if we don't work through it, man, it's still going to, we're still going to carry it with us even in our thirties, forties, and fifties. So that's the whole journey of where, where I am today. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we will carry that till we die if we don't do a lot of that healing. But I I definitely want to validate that workplace trauma does exist. Um, And unfortunately, it's very, it's just as damaging as any type of personal inner child trauma. Um, I've experienced it through two previous employers. And unfortunately, one of them left me on survival mode for many years where I would cycle from job to job for probably within a year. And um, I just was not moving forward. I was not progressing. Um, and so it's very unfortunate. Bullying is also part of that. You, I sort of feel that you call on that. I'm not saying you call it on yourself, but sometimes you are the perfect target for a bully. And if you have um, imposter syndrome or if you're dealing with trauma, you will definitely fall into that dynamic or you have a higher chance of falling into the dynamics of being bullied, especially in the workplace. They think they own you. Yeah. And I also think there is an abuse of power. You know, I never, I was lucky to never have been bullied growing up in school. So in terms of that, I was fine, but I kind of went in as I went in as an executive assistant. And at that point, you're at the bottom of the total pool. I think the only other person below you is probably an intern. At least at Disney and a lot of places, it's very hierarchical. You know, people treat VPs a whole lot different than the Mm -hmm. assistants, right? Um, You can tell they always, you know, put on a different face in front of the boss. And so as an assistant, you kind of get the brunt of everything, but you kind of, there's like a sense of you kind of are supposed to because that's your boss. You they do what, you know, of course you do what they tell you to do, but you don't have to treat people like shit as well. Um, and also like when you're trying to get things done and they're like, are you sure? You know, it's always like asking, I remember her kept asking me like, are you sure? And stuff like that. Even I present her with all the facts and information and she'd be like, well, go back and, you know, do it again or go back and ask, um, you know, I want to be able to take this flight or that kind of stuff. And I'd be like the employee policy says we can't. And she's like, well, the last time we could do it, you know, it's just like things where you you start questioning yourself over time and it's slow. That's the thing. You don't realize it's not like you get smacked overnight. It just slowly happens. And that's the part that I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, it's like a slow poison. That's a good way to put it. 
It really is. And it normally comes from individuals that have been in that role or within the organization for a really long time. Most of the times I've noticed that it's they're internally frustrated for not being able to move forward, or perhaps they feel entitled because they don't seem to receive that level of validation anywhere else in their personal life. And so they need to really enhance this power over whoever is below them. And if it's a person that's young, unexperienced, and feels like they just want to make it work, and you, God, you work for Disney, you know? Yeah. So you you were the perfect target. Yeah, there's a definitely, there's definitely a reason why a lot of assistants were young in their 20s or maybe like early 30s. Rarely did I see like assistants that were older because I think, you know, they're more likely to push back because out of wisdom, out of, they just know themselves more or even just when you're older, you're like, no, I'm not going to take this crap. I've already taken this crap before and I'm going to do it again. Whereas young people, they, you know, it's a perfect target. We're excited or like we want to move up the ranks and we're willing to do something, right? But we don't know any better. And also the same time, people that were been working on my team for such a long time we're like, well, that's how it is here. It was like an acceptance of bad behavior because you're like, what else are we going to do? Kind of like a powerless, helplessness um, feeling of the situation. Like that's how it's been. That's how it's run for the past 10 years. Yeah. And it takes it takes a, na- a narcissist. And I think it's um, a vulnerable person to really feed that cycle. And those that remain there, I, I mean, I'm not going to say they're not victims, but in a way, I think they are codependent to that toxic relationship as well where they excuse it. You know, there are so many places and I'm sure you also have escaped, moved on to other places where you've been able to sort of detect that toxicity very early on. You can see the red flags. You get through some of the interviews and you're like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to be here a year. <laughs> no. Yeah. Or even my, my friend said like now I have a friend that has a kid and she was like, you know, I need a certain schedule I can't or flexibility I can't have I can't go for those roles where they're like oh uh, the boss needs you to be on call she's like I can't do that you know so in the interview process she can just be like nope this isn't for me and walk away you know so it's 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 really different when you've again like you said you experienced it you know the little tiny I call them like pink flags because later on they become red flags and, uh, and then you, you have these boundaries of what your, or standards, what I call them, of what you're willing to take um, and what you're not willing to take. I think if we go into even the interview with the mentality of what we're shopping for, a lot of times we are able to tell uh, right away some of the behaviors and some of the things that we definitely want to stay away from, regardless of what your situation is, and really say no to those interviews. And they'll keep calling. It's like, well, you know, we're a perfect fit. And I'm like, um, I already have an offer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know what, Disney, I did take that job because I remember being laid off from NBC and I remember falling into a depression because, you know, I was a contractor, so there was no severance pay. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just moved into my apartment. I just bought a lot of furniture. What am I going to do? So I just spam applied to every single assistant job I can get, coordinator jobs I can get. And that was the one that got back to me and I got through the interview rounds. And so I took it. You know, it was like more of a survival, desperation. And it's hard because in for people in that situation, it's hard to tell them like, oh, wait for the right one to come along, waiting for one that aligns with you or whatever you want to call it, you know, but it's really hard because in the human world, we do need to pay our bills. We need to pay rent and all that stuff. So, um, so it's really tough. And I think part of life is learning these difficult lessons 
and and it's hard to just in the end it makes you grow a lot but sometimes you just wish it wasn't so painful (laughs) I agree so what are some of the things you do now I mean I know you work for yourself but towards the end of your uh, w2 career you know what are some of the things you're like no I'm I'm running out of here (laughs) yeah so in a way it just kind of laid out, you know, with me being laid off with many others during the pandemic. Of course. Uh, yeah. And so at that time I had to really be honest with myself and be like, I can't afford my apartment, you know, the rent anymore. I, I love it. It had so many good memories there, hangouts, um, you know, dinner parties, but I can't, it just, it's not realistic anymore. I've been applying, but I'm not getting anything. So I don't know if it's one of those things where I did something wrong in the application process or more like the universe is saying, hey, um, no, this is not for you. You know, you're not meant to do this, whichever way, right? We can only see a few years later in hindsight what happens. But so um, now I'm a freelancer on my own terms and I can keep my night out schedule, wake up, out of, uh, roll out of bed much later during the day. But I, I've always been super organized, um, naturally. That's just who I was in the group of friends. Yeah, thanks. And um, I'm the planner. And so I always tell people like when, you know, people say find your passion or we kind of have like this um, message out there being like, oh, I found my passion and now I'm happy. But I kind of disagree with that, actually. If I had to tell my younger self or even a kid be like, find what you're good at. That might not seem like a burden to do, but just keep in mind that you're going to take those skills and carry it with you into the next role and the next role. And at each job, you kind of accumulate more skills, and you never know what it's going to bring to the next place you're going to be. So I've done conferences, I've done birthday parties. And then if I want to level it up to a premium pricing thing, wedding planning. And, you know, wedding planning is something where people are like, oh my gosh, it's so stressful. How do you do it? But to me and other people that are organized and planners, it comes really easily or it's, it's like muscle memory at that point. So that's what I'm saying. Like years ago, I never would have thought I've done do wedding planning. Like I, I was thinking, oh, I wonder what it's like, but I never thought I'm going to do that one day, you know? And so it was, it's nice actually at this point, being able to run things on my own terms without having to, um, I wouldn't say report to a boss, but more of like being under someone that is controlling or, or having to deal with like an inefficient boss or a slow boss or something that's slowing down your, someone that's slowing down your progress. Right. And so if I, it's actually, I'm the boss and I'm calling the shots. And if I need help, I can ask someone or hire someone. And I always get feedback and say like, hey, I want to make sure that I'm a good boss, a good leader. And I want to make sure that from your point of view, because you're doing the hard work, nitty gritty work with me too. Um, what's it like? Give me feedback so I could be like, okay, we'll do this um, next time or do this other method next time because you came up with the idea. And I thank you without people having to feel fear from their, their boss. So there's that. And then I continue on with the happy healing shop and providing like online healing experiences. Um, I was recently in Australia and we did an inner child healing workshop and it was in person. It felt so, it feels different when you have people in front of you crying and sharing a really vulnerable part of their lives, you know, of um, their childhood or like not feeling loved or not feeling like they were hugged enough or cared for and nurtured enough as a kid. And so I cried along with them, but it was just also very cathartic and very, and then it kind of reminds you like, ah, this is very fulfilling work of serving others. And also kind of just knowing that sense of like, okay, this is what I was meant to do, you know, and it's helping others, whether it's like through wedding, it's supporting others, right? So it's either through wedding planning, making sure their big day 
they can enjoy it um, or even helping others heal. Isn't it amazing to really find that passion? Well, like you said, not even passion, what are you really good at? And eventually if it's something that you obviously love and enjoy, you're going to continue doing it. I'm sure I'm great at other things. I'm sure you're also great at things that you're like, I hate them. You know, I hate doing that. It doesn't matter if I get paid well or not. But I, I really love it. You know, I think the internet and through COVID, it's given us the availability to really modify the way we deliver services and has allowed us to really just play around with different trades and, and different talents that we had. So it's great. They are, you know, naturally organized. I'm somewhat or was somewhat organized. And I leave that in a very gray <laughs> um, because COVID left long, uh, long fog and it's been it's been a hustle. But one of the things that I was really curious, and I always ask because I think as children of immigrants, um, we always either are taught to hide our story or don't receive the recognition or validation behind that experience of being part of two worlds or not being part of any world. And so a lot of the times I like to really go into that story of assimilation for your parents. And I don't know if your grandparents were here in the United States as well, but what was that story for you? What was it growing up? Oh, uh, well, my, my dad was the only one in his family able to escape Vietnam and my mom and her entire family was able to come here. So, um, but they moved to LA and I guess because their husbands got jobs in LA. So my parents, they met in Virginia and they still are there. Well, I think growing up, so I was fortunate to have grown up in Northern Virginia in this pocket where it is so diverse. So that was my norm. I know some people, there's like, I grew up with only white people. I was the only colored person. My high school could have been the United Nations. That's how diverse <laughs> it was. But it was also not diverse in just nationalities, but socioeconomic status as well. So you can just tell that some people were rich by the clothes they wear. Like the clothes just look nice. Kalina was like the newest fashion. Done, you know? right? Yeah, exactly. And then there's like a middle class and low income. So, you know, there's a difference between rich Asians and then like middle class Asians and then like low income Asians. But I think I was so looking back, I am so happy. I grew up in that environment. I was exposed to people with different religions and being able to accept their looks or when they wear a hijab. Like to me, I was like, oh, it's not one of those like, oh, is that a terrorist thing? It's just more of like, oh yeah, I grew up with people like that in school. You know, just another another normal day for me. So with, in terms of having any identity crisis and that kind of stuff, I kind of really didn't because everyone else was going through, like, I think it was just more so of going through like, oh, oh, my parents are so annoying, you know, or they're overbearing, or especially I, I spoke to other, I had a lot of female friends and so their parents were overprotective, you know, and so we kind of bonded over that more so. But looking back now in a lot of cultures, you know, their sons and daughters are seen a bit differently. Like my brother was able to get away with things more, you know? And to me, I was like, that's so unfair. Why are you treating me differently? I'm just, or even more independent than he is. So, I mean, I think culture does play a little role into that too, but also um, probably societal norms as well. Um, and with my parents, they were, you know, I guess some people call them like fobby Asians. <laughs> and I think, I didn't, there were times where I felt embarrassed just because the way they dressed or maybe the way they would honk their car when they're going to pick me up from school, just things like that, you know? And you're like, can you, can you not? You know, so I think in a way 
in a way, I didn't want them to come to like my volleyball games or anything like that. But just because I was a bit embarrassed and they weren't like the the parents that knew how to like cheer for you. Like my mom, if she came to a game, she would just read her Vietnamese magazine. Like she would, she'd be there, but not like there, like the other parents were. So I knew it was like, ah, oh, why bother inviting my parents, you know? And they were also both working. So I think it's more of like that um, at such at a really young age, I knew to, I grew up fast because I knew to kind of be quiet and not be a burden to them because they were already working a lot and they were trying to make ends meet. And so you don't want to add additional trouble on top of them. And that was like, probably when I was like seven or eight, I already knew that. But is do you think that's a cultural stigma? Do you think that was engraved in you and sort of like, you know, you have everything you need, you're clothed, you're fed, you have a house, we're busy, we're adults, this is a matter of respect. Was that something that you feel was sort of ingrained in you? No, I think it was just something I perceived like I just kind of uh, you just know as a kid although I don't know if my brother did so it might be just a me thing you know like you know how there's always one kid that's really perceptive and they can tell they're like okay um and also I think my parents they when you hear them being like oh we can't buy that because we don't have money or and it's just something like a toy or something like that or we when you keep seeing hearing like oh we don't have money you start to be like okay so I guess we're poor or like okay I guess I should ask for um other fancy things that other kids have because we probably don't have the money for it. But it also made me be independent at the same time because I was like, I can't wait till I get my own job, you know, at a, at a teenager with minimum wage <laughs> and just be able to buy my own things or just, uh, you know, have that freedom instead of wanting to rely on my parents. Like, I don't, oh, I don't want them to pay for me because for, let's say, rent or something like that, or I don't know, X, Y, Z, because I know based on how they talk, it's like, oh, we're tight on money. I actually didn't know if we were tight on money, but to my parents, they're always thinking, even though they have a, if they have a big savings account, they'd be like, oh, we don't, we, we, we still need to save more. And that's part of like the survival mentality because they were so poor growing up, like poverty poor. And then the struggle of coming to America. It's, I find it interesting that I think immigrant parents sort of have the ideals and values of what the silent generation was for the American culture um, because they were very conservative with their finances. You know, they struggled through a lot of that struggle of the Great Depression. And obviously they generated boomers, which sort of didn't, weren't passed on. But um, I, I think I, 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 you know, I resemble a lot of those values coming in, uh, escaping the situation, whether it was for political or economical reasons, into a U.S. Uh, economy where you had a, unlimited access to employment or resources if you worked hard enough. And you saved and and you built, and that sort of was a proven modality at the time. Right now, I'm a little bit more modified, but I don't think I'm against that. I'm I'm not I I'm not as good with money as my parents. But in your case, how do you think those values were positive and negative in the person you are now? Oh yes, this one I've talked to in my community about mentioned before, but so I call it scarcity mindset. So it's great. Like my whole family, we're good at saving money. And I had an Asian friend that was just like, my parents never taught us how to spend it. All this time we're saving, 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 but like how there's also a guilt sometimes like, oh, can I, should I spend money on that vacation? You know, because vacations allow us to relax, to recalibrate ourselves, to find joy again in life. And I love travel, right? So it was just things like, oh, can I afford that? Or even I remember as a kid, my mom would say, 
oh, you're go- I'm going to Mary's house, my friend's house. And she's like, oh, how far is it? And I'll be like, oh, like five to 10 miles. She's like, oh, but that's a waste of gas. And at that <laughs> time, it probably wasn't a lot, you know, of money for gas. But it was just, I would hear that so often that even today, when I want to visit a friend and in LA, gas is even more expensive. It's further to drive there. And she, like that voice is still in my head of being like, oh, do I want to visit her? But that's, oh man, I just filled up my gas tank, you know? And when I see my friends, it brings me so much joy. I'm so happy during that time, you know? And, but that's still, I'm like, Trang, you can afford that. You have $10 for the gas trip, you know? You can afford the <laughs> Go, just go. And I still have to fight to this day or even it's summer right now, right? And driving in the car, I'll be like, oh, should I turn on the AC? But that's going to waste gas. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, Trang, stop. Like you're, you're, you don't want to, you shouldn't be driving 45 minutes sweating in your car, you know? So it's just things like that where it is a detrimental uh, thing sometimes, or it holds you back from, I wouldn't say enjoying life, but also like taking a chance on programs. Like it could be like coaching programs, fitness programs, anything to improve yourself, to pay for someone that can get you to the next level. But you're like, you know, you don't invest in yourself. That's another thing that holds you back. But on the other hand though, I am good at say at saving. <laughs> Which is great. I think it's fantastic. You know, I look at, you know, the recessions 2008 and the sort of the micro mini recessions that we're going through and my parents are set. And I don't mean that they're holding a million dollars because they don't, but their mortgage is non, non-existing. It's very minimal. Um, they have enough they save to save for a rainy day. Yeah. Yes. And, and a couple rainy days, but, and I'm grateful, you know, they're, they're in their sixties and seventies. Uh, but it's very interesting in the dynamics that I grew up, you know, my dad was also very much, um, I would say maybe somewhat of a almost middle-class within his own town. He went to a private school, but then he only went to school to like fifth or sixth grade. So it's sort of, it's sort of like that oxymoron, you know, he worked very hard. He wasn't there when we grew up and, but then, you know, he paid for college. He paid for a lot of things. He raised us as we, as if we were the rich kids in, in the neighborhood because we grew up in the ghetto. We were the kids in the ghetto that had money. And so with this mentality of we're rich, we moved on with our lives, had no saving skills. I personally didn't. I learned them through life. And while I'm not awfully bad, I'm not awfully great. You know, I'm, I don't have a 401k. I'm sort of going to see if I can marry somebody rich and <laughs> hope for the best. You know, um, but it's it's very interesting because you raise your kids and and you sort of tell them, let me give you everything I've never had without any accountability. On top of that, I'm a millennial and I feel like I need instant gratification for everything. So if I were to have that same dynamic where it's like, you know, do we turn on Daisy? Fuck yes. I'm not going to be hot. <laughs> we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, or if we're going to drive 10 minutes to see a friend, of course we are. We're it's on our way to work. I, I don't like to, to fall short, fall short. Now I don't live in an upscale setting. I certainly can afford to live better because I enjoy my disposable income. Like you have no idea when someone tells you spend on yourself, you know, spend, give yourself that little extra. I take, I take it all. You know, I, I pay low rent. I have an old car so that I can travel more so that I can have four massage sessions in a month or, you know, get, I love it. I mean, I, I, I have so many coaches and so many doctors and gynos and they just know me. I mean, I keep it within a budget, but I chose to not have children for the same reason. I was like, I'm not going to give up two manicures a month, <laughs> you know? So it, it, I think 
if it weren't because of my parents, you know, I have had a couple of fuck ups where, you know, you've been laid off and you're 24 and you don't know where to go or, you know, you lose your job, like I said, and you really still rely on your parents sort of as the young adult. And if it weren't because they had those values of just saving and being stable, I probably would not have been as lucky because I'm not the one with the wallet. It's sort of my family. Right. So it's very interesting. Very, very interesting. We'll start working at it. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, how can we find that balance? Right. Or if, we, if people have kids, you know, how can they teach their kids? Like the reality of life, there will be, especially today's age, there's going to be layoffs. It, it's like, you know, whereas back in our parents' day, you, there weren't layoffs. You just work forever at one company and get a pay raise every time it's guaranteed. But now it's, it's different, especially with power of the internet and things like that. So of being able to show your kid like, hey, this is reality. You got to have some money to save for a rainy day. But you also, you know, can budget or allow a little fun money for yourself so you can enjoy life. Like you are working so you can do things in life. You know, whether it's a hobby, travel, or like buying a new uh, thing on Amazon that lights you up. Yeah. yeah, that's why I don't keep a subscription to Amazon. I don't need more crap. <laughs> I really don't. People are like, don't you have like the Echo or Alexa? I guess that's what it's called. Or um, Amazon members like, nope, I have no business keeping an Amazon account. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know we digressed a little bit off, but I want to really learn about your business model. What are some of the things you offer? What are some of your talent? Um, and what in your journey took you to offering the services that you offer at Happy Healing Shop? That's right. Yeah. I, it's funny because it kind of, I went through a really difficult time of like when I split with my partner, business partner, because she was um, the psychic, the tarot reader. So, you know, it was a thing that people came for. And so when I was going through that, I remember thinking, how am I going to revamp this? How, what can I do? Like, I know breathwork, I have I'm a certified Reiki master, which is energy healing. Well, what else is there? Is that it? You know, um, and also inner child healing, which is going in your past and helping reparent yourself and kind of addressing issues you've had that affect you to this day. And I remember asking my community really, I'm um, just really chit chatting with them. And they, and honestly, if anyone has a business, that is probably one of the most valuable things you can do when you have them from your face. Be like what did you find helpful or why did you stay? Things like, and actually people will unsubscribe from you when you change a whole entire, your whole entire business model or even the services you offer. And it was also learning to have to accept that and be okay with that and knowing that, okay, you're going to have to just attract new audience, new tribe. But I started doing this thing called like uh, the happy healing hour, which is like a happy hour. And that's a monthly event we do where people just hop on again, Zoom, and we talk about what's going on in our lives and people end up talking to each other, giving advice or even finding solidarity of like, one thing that's been popping up a lot is like family issues. People don't talk a lot about family issues online. Like they don't post on social media being like, hey guys, so for Christmas today, my family and, guy got, uh, family and I got in a fight. It's always like things, right? <laughs> but, or even during holidays, it's hard because someone that they love died, you know? So we talk about really deep life things, but in a way it's therapeutic and healing for them because it feels less alone because everyone experiences death. Everyone experiences loss or everyone experiences like difficult life transitions, you know? Um, and there's like even once where I had two people there that are addicts, they were addicts 
And they started talking about how it just, it wasn't one day they just spiraled. It just slowly happened over time. And they were able to, I guess they vibe off each other, but teach us what that process looked like. Teach us that, oh, they had to hit rock bottom in order to actually get out of it. And so people find it fascinating listening to other people's stories and then also um, just sharing advice with each other naturally. Like I don't say, hey, V, what advice do you have for for um, Nancy? It doesn't go like that. It just naturally organically happens. So that was one event that I think is a favorite now, but I didn't know it was going to be a favorite. It was just more of like, let's let's just see how this goes. Let's see how people chit chat and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, people want a sense of community or people that don't judge them. And of course we talk about like spiritual stuff, the afterlife, um, talking to spirit and crystals and all that kind of stuff too. But a lot of it is talking about life stuff. And so that's one thing. And then also with inner child healing, we do either breath work or we do journaling exercises and, you know, tears come out of that one too, but it's working through the past and also being able to remind ourselves that we are okay to this day. You know, it's okay. We don't have to, we're not where we were in the past. We are not under this person or what happened in the past was not our fault, you know? So those two have been like the major events. And then recently I launched my podcast actually today. And it was because um, I've noticed, I just ask people questions and stories, whether it's friends, 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 whenever I meet up with them. And, uh, and I realized like, oh man, you know, when you meet those people and you go like, oh man, you got to write a book. Your life yeah. is crazy. Yeah. So I started thinking like, okay, you know what? I'm going to put this on a podcast. But also at the same time, I asked my community again, asking them, I was like, hey, what do you guys want to hear in a podcast? And I was expecting something like, I want to hear an astrologer talk. You know, or I want to hear someone that's a tarot reader talk about that stuff. But they actually said, I want to hear about other people's lives because I want to hear people that's not in my bubble. And I was like, okay got this because I know people or I know people that have like a lot of interesting lives and or just like hardships and it's more of like how they overcame it and being able to inspire other people that are listening in um, and that's kind of how it formed so right now podcast is my new uh, project that I'm really proud of and you know it you know the process and stuff like that work goes into it but it's really fulfilling being able and inspiring to hear other people and how they got to the other side if you give the opportunity to others to speak and share their story, it's it's amazing because then you realize you can heal yourself through other people's journey. And it sort of clicks. And it's that community that you get to build, not in silence. You know, you don't congregate physically and jump in joy with joy, you know. Um, but it's amazing how you can really build community virtually. You know, I, and I'm sure you have some modalities offered in person, but. Uh, a lot of people criticize, like, we need to go back into in-person activities and all stuff. And I'm not saying no, you know, but I'm saying sometimes you want to work and heal on top of a mountain. And building that community through the resources that you have is just amazing. And so how do you build community? Okay. So actually, I'm um, really quick thing. As like a business coach, what I tell people, what I would say to people like that, that say, oh, we need to go back to in-person is that it's... We don't need to. There's people that are going to work in person locally, right? Especially if you have a physical shop, a physical studio already. But then when you're doing virtual, you can scale. It's a different, slightly different business model, or you can do both, right? So, you know, you can, you can only, let's say um, I have a physical shop in Los Angeles. Great. But only you're going to get LA people. And what if those people move? You have to find new clients in LA. But when you're on Zoom or virtual, 
people can share your stuff real easily. They can share the link and be like, Hey, come to this virtual like session, healing session with me, you know, and you can reach people all over the world. And a lot of my followers are not the people that come. They're in different time zones. They're not, they're in the U S majority, but they're not in LA. Some are, but it's beautiful being able to be like, wow, we feel connection and we, we feel like we're friends already because we've met over time. So it doesn't happen, I guess, in terms of building community. It doesn't happen overnight in terms of, here's a good example. You know, when you go to work and you're like, yo, let's go to happy hour. The first happy hour, you kind of do like, oh, hey, well, what department you work in? Oh, it's cool, blah, 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 blah. You know, but the second time, the next month you do happy hour. And the third time, that's when the deeper questions start to open up where they're kind of like, oh, so how'd you get here? And then you tell your life story, right? And they go like, whoa. And so it kind of builds when you feel over time because you feel comfortable with the people because you start seeing Billy or Nancy like over and over again. And you start asking different questions instead of like, oh, the weather's hot today. So true. It's like, how many times can you ask about the weather after meeting, you know, for your third time at a bar drunk? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then so over time you become like, I guess you say you become good work colleagues. And then eventually when you click with certain people, you go like, oh man, I can call this person my friend. And that's how connection starts. It kind of builds over time with trust um, and feeling that you can safely talk to someone without feeling judged. And that's, I think I've always done that at jobs. I've always loved doing happy hours. I always loved doing potlucks. I just never thought I would translate to something online. But again, talk, it takes us back to like, what are the skills that you find easily and how do you translate that or move that to a new space? Absolutely. I think really connecting with individuals online, a lot of people say or ask, how is it doable or how is it, how do you do it? And so I think it's, it's, it's definitely a matter of energy. And I've been an online nerd, if you want to call me that, for a very long time, probably for over 20 years. And it's I've met some amazing people that are still my friends that became my best friends. And, you know, they were groupies from a music artist or we would be on the same um, chat rooms in Yahoo 20 years ago talking about an artist or just gossiping with stuff that, you know, nobody really cared, you know. And the most random things will pull you together. And out of that vibe that you hold, your spirit is the one that does that invisible connection across wire, if you want to say, and really allows you to build those relationships that you would not be able to build any other way. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful being able to how the internet, obviously there's always a good pros and cons, everything, but it can bring people together. It can divide people. But I even had one of my followers visit LA you know, they were going to Disneyland with her family, but we met in person and it just like, it just was beautiful. Cause we're like, Oh my gosh, I'm seeing you. And it's like a different experience, but you're so happy to see each other because you, you've known each other for such a long time where it's like online. And you've seen those um, stories where like gamers, when they actually meet their gaming friend in real life for the first time and they hug and it's like such a happy moment. <laughs> and so I think it's so kind of crazy how we can connect with people anywhere online that have internet, but just be able to connect with them, become friends with them, or even share um, what we're going through. Mm -hmm. Well, it's definitely easier to share our troubles with strangers and with those that we love because we're not going to be criticized. We are faced with higher levels of empathy uh, by strangers and stuff. But you're you're right. You know, it's just amazing the the level of connection that you can truly achieve with little to no engagement, physical engagement. That is, and and I love it. I love the internet. <laughs> I'll probably be buried with a laptop. 
me with my phone as well. <laughs> so we can connect in the afterworld, no? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need, uh, if I have like, we just can do telepathy at that point. And we may just be addicted to the screen then. <laughs> so tell me, how can people find you? What is your platform, uh, your website? Yes. So you can find all about me, what I offer at thehappyhealingshop.com. And the podcast is called The Happy Healing Shop Podcast. I try to keep it simple. <laughs> and then again, all social media. So it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. The handle name, the handle name is uh, The Happy Healing Shop. All right. Well, thank you so much. One final question for you. What would you tell your inner child today? You are meant for greatness. You don't know it yet. And things will come at the right time. And people will come on your path to help you. Isn't that amazing? Thank you so much for the time and and energy. I I really loved it and enjoyed talking to you. Oh, likewise. (laughs) Thanks, V. Thanks so much. That's it, folks. Maybe this is how it starts for you, I, and anyone else in our journey. Hope you like this content. Please follow, download, and share. Thanks for listening. See you next time.